0: For me, it's for every lost minute or every lost hour, it was, could that been an hour that really made a difference? So, so when I see somebody sit idle and, and like, I know when we first rolled on our, our pharmacist, our clinical pharmacist, a lot of people just didn't really understand what that was about. And they were going like, well, what does a pharmacist need to do for me? I mean, and now we talked about it on the show a hundred times, all the things the pharmacist does. In fact, the pharmacy visit is just extremely so important that it was a factor that drove down cost when we looked at pay patients that have the same interactions with providers like you know the same number same number of visits and CCM and then when we added but if that patient had a pharmacist we saw i think we'll said either a 15 or 20% drop in the cost of the patient.
1: Welcome to the Disrupted podcast. My name's Jamie and we're here with Scott Middleton. Now that, now Scott your title keeps changing. We kind of jump back and forth. <laughs> It's sometimes the chief disruption officer, depending on the day, but I think lately it's yeah. been the chief disruption officer and also the chief visionary officer. That's my favorite one uh, that, the, you know, I think describes you very well.
0: Yeah, I think I, I introduced myself in the outside of of your health as the chief visionary officer and and that's pretty typical to have a position like that within the organization um you know i think the unique thing about me being in that position is that because i represent the ownership of the company then that then my vision can really be adapted and, and move forward mm-hmm. um, so uh, but what's really interesting, too, is, you know, I gathered my vision from a lot of different people. And so I, I know that we were rolling out something this week and I can't even remember what it, it was now. But I was telling somebody else, oh, I know what, what it, it was actually Greg. Greg and I had been working on a project and he said, yeah, I never got a hold of the guy. And, and I said, well, make sure that he understands how we, it was a development project about how the tax credits work and how we're going to give him this back, and and so um, we we walked through it and and he said, yeah, that's a, this is what I told him, and he started repeating this, and I was going, wow, Greg, I mean that's great, you really had the vision that I had, and I, hmm. and he said, yeah, because you and I coached about that last week, <laughs> and so. So I I think it's interesting, but a lot of times I will steal people's ideas. I don't know how many times, you know, I'll start in and start talking about something and and then um you know later it, somebody will come back and say yeah scott that's what i told you about three weeks ago and i said well <laughs> evidently it was important um, i know i did that with betsy this week uh, our chief production officer we were talking and i said well what if we do it this way and she said i suggested that three weeks ago and, and you didn't jump on that and i was like okay well it had to go settle in a little bit exactly. but now i got it i had to <laughs> so, process so. so the vision you know, I always say I probably haven't had an original idea. It's just that I've heard someone else have an original idea that I like. Mm-hmm. So you have to also go out there and find the ideas. Exactly. Um, one of the things I like about going to conferences is, and I actually encourage our folks, if there's a conference coming up that you're interested in going, you know, reach out to your supervisor and say, Hey, I'd really like to do this. Um, you know, and, and we'll try our best to make that happen. Just depends on, you know, how much something costs. Like Jimmy looked at a conference this week and he's, "Guys, God, Scott, it looked really good, but it was like $1,500 as registration plus Mm -hmm. like, plus this. And, 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 and I said, well, maybe that's not worth it. And then I found out actually, there were a couple of other people who already planned to go. And I said, OK, don't go because one or two people can probably gather the information. But the point is to sit through these of uh, these classes with folks. And sometimes I went to a conference not long ago and I bet it, during one session they had like four different sessions during that particular time line, and I walked into one, started listening, and I was going, oh, I know all that. I walked in another one. This doesn't, re- it's not relative to us. And so I think I went to all four. Yeah. Um, so you you don't always get something out of it, but if you start listening to folks and and in that process, you're thinking about what we do, how we do it,
1: mm-hmm. then
0: that's going to be what leads you to those ideas and those yeah. visions out there. Absolutely. Um, the, the, other, the other thing I've always thought about, too, with, with the vision is that you have to look to see if the vision is reality. Hmm. So so a lot of times people go, gosh, Scott, wouldn't it be nice if we had this? I remember back in the day we were talking about social workers at hospice. Wouldn't it be nice, Scott, if we had, you know, uh, 50 more social workers? They could do this and they could do this. And I went, yeah, they, they really could. The problem is there's no reimbursement for that. Or there's no other savings from Mm -hmm. that at that point. And so, um, you know, how do you look at what's productive and what's effective? But also you have to, at the end of the day, you know, you can't run a business if you don't have excess cash over expenditures.
1: Sure. You have to pay for it. It has to pay um, for itself somewhere.
0: Exactly, and so that's why over the last and last week, I talked a lot about productivity of our staff, and I think we are seeing some strides. Uh, we we've seen some movement this past week, mm-hmm. making sure people understand how important it is for them to capture. Their productivity and put that down. And since we have that program called Clini, so a lot of times people think Clini is just for CCM. Well, no, Clini is really to put what, everything you do in. Uh-huh. So in the course of a day, most of our uh, most of our employees should be looking back at the end of the day and saying, "Hey, I put an eight-hour day in. Okay, what did I do?" And and that needs to be patient specific. And so they should be going back to, "Oh, I worked." You know 30 minutes on mrs smith and then 45 minutes on mr brown and mm-hmm. then i did you know 20 minutes here or i did you know, an hour, and I looked at these 15 patients, and then you divide that up. Um, but you've got to be able to to look at the time you're spending and capture it. Because at the end of the day, there's two things that are happen. One, the, the immediate is we get paid for chronic care management on a majority of that. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, that way, the government's willing to pay us for the time you spend, but only if you record it. Nice. <laughs> so, so record it. Then, then on the other side, what we can do is by looking at those things you did is we're going to be able to put predictabilities in. So, for example, we could be able to pull up all of the patients last year and look at, at their um, the number of example of ACPs. So we could probably pull it up to say, hey, if we do this number of ACPs on patients, let's just take patients that died last year and look back and say, how many advanced care plans did we have to do to really drive down the cost to the to the, the government? And where did we see the best quality indicators for the patient based on ACPs? Or it right. could be based on social work hours of intervention or medical assistant intervention. Um, yeah, so I think it's important for us as as we get through to make sure that we're logging and and documenting, and then we're managing it, and then we're looking back to see okay, what what combinations work.
1: Medicare for us. wants you to record what you get paid for. They want you to say yes, we did this A, B, and C. You know, they want you know, and when we don't do that, I mean, it's we're just we're robbing ourselves. Yeah.
0: You know, we have a we have a provider or two out there that says, well, I just don't want to bill CCM. Um, you know, OK, then that that means you've got no more than 10 minutes with each patient. Right. And if you spend more and if you spend more with, t- with any one patient and refuse to bill, that's fraud. Right. You know, I never really thought about it. You know, we you, you can't just give your services away for free when you have a contract with Medicare, mm-hmm. because for Medicare, you know, while this one or two off might save them a dime or two, you know, a little bit of money, what it loses out in the metrics. I remember, I think I maybe mentioned it last um, last time we were on, but but when with hospice we always had to do a cost report at the mm-hmm. end of the year, and we had to tell Medicare every dollar we spent, you know, that that was, and how it was was spent, and um, and it didn't impact our rates because the rates were set for hospice based on on hospice overall and the region um, but the government used that to determine what those rates are going to be but we still had to file that cost report which usually cost me i had to pay thirty forty thousand dollars a year for some outside group to take our numbers and submit that cost report out there right. um, and and putting the wrong things on it so as an example with hospice um, you can't. Um, you could not put any expenses related to alcohol on there, mm, which would yeah. make sense. Sure. Um, And for the most part, you would think, well, when would you do that? Well, you had a conference, and mm-hmm. everybody went out after the conference, and the the company's going to pay for your meal because you're out of town. Then all of a sudden, you throw alcohol in there. So our accounting people had to go through all of the American Express cards and pull out all the alcohol stuff and take it out <laughs> before sure. they could put it on the cost report. Yeah. 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 Um, but but again, it, those are the minute things that a lot of people don't think about. You know, if you're out there just doing your job, trying to to save a life, you know, thinking clinically, what's wrong with the church and what do I got to put on them? And and for a lot of the providers and even the clinical staff, they go, hey, I did a good job today. I took care of my patients. And then they they are just flabbergasted when we come back and say, well, according to the numbers, it doesn't look like you're doing a very good job. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, you yeah. have to prove it. Right. I, I mean, okay. what other industry can you work in where you don't have to prove or show your work? I, I don't, I don't think it's possible.
0: Yeah, well, and and I think for for some um, for some organizations it's easy. Like, yeah, if you're an accountant, you have to keep track of your minutes and hours by client. If sure. you're a lawyer, you have to keep track of your minutes and hours by client. And that's what we're saying to all of our staff: you keep track of your minutes and hours related to the patient. Mm-hmm. And so we we where everything is going to be patient specific out there. So right. hopefully people are getting to getting together, you know, we we've actually made a rule that that at this point, because we were so far kind of behind that um, our minimum requirement for people to keep their job right now is 70% um, logged hours. And mm-hmm. so last month, it, we it was 35. So that was pretty poor. So 35%, and we got to get to 70 as the minimum for any one person. But that's not to say that that's what people should do. I mean, really, you work 168 hours, you should be able to log 168 hours, right. you know? Now, we, you, you may be driving to and from a person's house, well, you can't bill for that, but you can log it. So there is a spot that Taylor's working on that in our uh, staffing productivity report, you're gonna be able to look at it and say, okay, this was the number of hours I drove that day. and And they can figure that out based on your schedule. So everybody has a schedule built, visiting nurses, um, your your providers, the community health workers. and um, and so they build their schedule where they're going to go. It's automatically going to calculate the route uh, that you had to drive. And remember, mm-hmm. it doesn't count to and from work. So the first house you go to wouldn't necessarily be counted. Uh, but anyway, this way, I think as everybody gets all those hours calculated, we're really going to be able to see productivity. Um, but you mentioned something right before the show started. And I thought that was interesting. And you said, you know, it, it for your self-worth and self-value, doesn't mm-hmm. it feel good when at the end of the day, you look back and say, wow, i got a lot of stuff done today.
1: It feels and, great. And
0: that, it really does. And 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 I'm hoping it's not, quote, just busy work. Make sure that it's something that was worth it. So like providers, I was talking to some providers this week, and, and I said, please, please don't get into this habit where, where you write 18 pages every time you see a patient. You're trying to plug in everything you do. And I said, because the, the problem is nobody else will read it. So while that may make you feel good and it could be a processing thing, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I just sit down and start writing because that's how I'm processing and learning knowledge or or I'm filtering the information for my visions out there. But at the end of the day, I could have been really busy and put a lot of stuff. But how is that going to impact the patient's health Mm -hmm. Um, and and so if it's not stop wasting your time and spend time other ways like we know the amount of times that a provider sees a patient or touches that patient or talks to that patient then we are we are driving down costs and we are driving down um hospitalizations and other things that could happen Mm -hmm. to a patient so make it relevant and i always say the most relevant time you spend is talking with a patient
1: mm-hmm.
0: or a patient's family.
1: Absolutely, that's
0: what really is going to make a difference to people. So,
1: yeah.
0: um, right. I'm You're hoping good. people will will start tracking that.
1: Yeah, I, and I think it goes back to the beginning of our conversation. Scott is the vision. Once you know that vision, you know we got to look at your vision for the company. As 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 our leader, you know we look, you know, with Matt Staub, our CEO, our other senior leadership you know, whoever you're working for, uh, you need to know that vision. And once you know that vision, you should be able to say, these are the things I need to get done. And does it, you know, support the vision? Does it move the needle on the vision? And I think, you know, and, and some of that's sometimes a little convoluted, hard to see, but when you can start to dial that in and say, okay, what did I do today? Did it make a difference to the vision, and the vision for us is helping people, making people healthy, preventing illness, keeping people out of the hospital. There's so many things we could say about that.
0: Well, and and you also look at. Um, for me, it's for every lost minute or every lost hour. It was could that been an hour that really made a difference? So so when I see somebody sit idle and and like I know when we first rolled on our, our pharmacist, our clinical pharmacist, a lot of people just didn't really understand what that was about. And they were going like, Well, what does a pharmacist need to do for me? I mean, and now we've talked about it on the show a hundred times, all the things the pharmacist does. In fact, the pharmacy visit is just extremely so important that it was a factor that drove down cost. When we looked at patients and had the same interactions with providers, uh, you know, the same number, same number of visits and CCM. And then when we added, but if that patient had a pharmacist, we saw, I think will said either a 15 or 20 percent drop in the cost of the patient Mm. of of the expenditures just by the pharmacist having that connection. But people didn't understand it for some reason. They were like, "Ah, you know, I don't get that. But then so we have to spend time explaining that to people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you. Um, yeah. You, you, so now what what we've got to look at is, is how do we get everybody on board and even patients who say, well, I don't need to be seen again or why are you calling me back right. Um I know um, I've, I've heard some great, um, great things about the, the clinic in Hartzell, um that we took over this year. And it had, it had been you know just some physicians that had gotten together years and years ago and started their own practice. And, and so the, the providers are in the back you know, watching and seeing patients all day long, but they have really kind of no idea what was going on up front. And they were telling me this week that literally people will show up at eight o'clock in the morning and there's lines out the building for people who were coming by to say, Hey, I need something. I need a prescription refilled. I'm sick. I need a visit. And, and so instead of just calling because the phone lines were so bogged down, like, I mean, thousand calls a day into this one clinic. So they were leaving messages, but it was almost impossible you know, to even get them to return all the calls, so people just line up. So we're looking at how we organize that and put structures together. Mm-hmm. But what bothers me the most is that these are people who need visits with providers, and there's not enough providers there. Now, on the other side, we have all these pharmacists that have excess capacity. We have all of these providers out there, and some of them have excess capacity. So I know, like Matt Staub always says, so we have patients and we that and, that need visits, and we have. Prov- Providers that need to do visits, but for some reason we had patients that didn't get seen and providers who had nothing to do. So it's just a matter of us linking those together. And mm-hmm. so you think that's easy, no. but it's not.
1: <laughs> and and too, <laughs> right. I think I go back to what you said a little bit a little bit ago. You know, when we weren't helping that patient, how many of those patients may have had to go to the hospital? How many of them could what could have been prevented? you know, down the road here that we don't even know about, you know, there's so many things that, you know, it just, it breaks your heart. You know, you think, what did that patient go through because we couldn't see him or we didn't see him or for whatever reason it is.
0: Right. And that, and that's the worst part. I, you know, I always tell an orientation to all of our new people. I tell stories about, you know, my, my father-in-law and, and how, um, you know, he ended up, he got sent to the hospital. And if it really wasn't for my personal inner in action and intervention in that they would have admitted in and Probably he would have died two years sooner than he did. Mm-hmm. And and he had good quality of life. I mean, I'm, I'm all about that if somebody's at the end of their life and this the quality is not there, I'm not going to do heroic measures to save people. Um, my uncle it, is really on his deathbed right now. And um, and he made the comment, um, you know, to my son a few weeks ago. He said, you know, I looked, he said, I don't know why I'm here. And, and so Greg started to explain, well, you know, you're in the nursing home. You fell, you broke your hip. And he said, no. I don't know why I'm still here on this earth," mm. he said. "I'm 94 years old. I'm I'm tired. I'm I, I, you know I'm hurting, and and I I don't I don't have a purpose for you know for yeah. anymore. And so so for him it was it's time for him to actually go. And and I think that will happen soon. But certainly when I got a call from the the, the nursing home uh, last weekend that said, hey, I want to send him to the hospital, and I went for what Uh, (laughs) you know so um yeah, so called the nurse practitioner. She intervened. She did do an IV and started on an antibiotic because he did have a UTI. So you don't want anybody to suffer in pain. Right. Um, but anyway, the point the point is connecting these providers with these patients. And so um, one of the things that we're, we've are we been talking about is that, well, whose responsibility is that? Well, that's why we have directors of case management. We have vice presidents of case management. We have case managers mm-hmm. who are down there that should be making responsibility that if they have patients that need a visit, they can look through the schedules of any provider out there and say, hey, my provider can't do this, but let me get somebody else to at least see you. The Mm -hmm. nice thing is when they do that, they have our charts. And, and if we've charted well and we have very concise charting, anybody can pick up those records, review those, look at them and make good decisions for the patients. Mm. But of course, if you've written 14 pages every time you saw the patient the last six times, there's no way the providers have time really to read through all that. And they may not make the right, the appropriate decision.
1: Yeah. Now, Scott, with, with, you know, softwares like DAX, can that help that?
0: Oh yeah, you know the, the 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 role. Unfortunately, you know sometimes we're the, we're always the first people to go and, and see a new software and do new something. If we if if I think it will make it easy for our providers, I will buy it. Mm-hmm. And, and me people know we spend about one point five million dollars a month a month. Mm. So what is that twenty million dollars a year on software that will make it easier for our providers and better for our patients. So So there's a big commitment there. But when Dax first rolled out, it was cumbersome because um, it, the the artificial intelligence had to learn each provider, mm-hmm. and also it had to be intertwined with um, with someone on the um, the DAC side to go through and make sure and do all their corrections um, with after each visit. So it was very time consuming, and a lot of our providers just got frustrated with it. The ones who stuck it out and spent the time doing it for the first few weeks, they love it, and it's right. and it's really. Good for them, and now Dax has changed up, so it's brand new. A little bit about how that AI works, and it will get you um, get you into the system and make it easier, quicker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it just takes some time for people to say, "Okay, I got to learn how to do this to make it easier for me."
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is great.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so. So I think, well, I think at, at the the summation of this is, look, guys, um, you know, I, I know everybody needs their time off, and 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 so we have some people who just worked so hard and so many hours to take care of their patients, and then there's other people out there that aren't, right. and 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 so that gets frustrating to staff members. So what I'm asking is to people to um, to prove what you're worth. It, and you do that by registering the, the minutes and hours in Clini, um, so we know what you're doing. And then over time, we're going to be able to either look to see which which ca- case managers are better than others or which mm-hmm. medical assistants seem to have less problems or their patients have less problems. So um, the data's there for us to really calculate and find a lot of things out there. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, but we've got to have the commitment and, yes. and so um, to, to really make the commitment to the patients and to us, and I promise you it's going to work and it's going to be better, but you've got to, if I did one word is everybody just start writing your stuff down. Cause the mm-hmm. more that we have, the, the, um, the better decisions we're going to make about our patients. Yeah.
1: Something, something I love talking about in, our orientation on Monday with all of our new hires, I asked them the question who came here to give mediocre healthcare and obviously nobody raises their hand. And I said, well, who came here to give incredible healthcare and they all raised their hand. And I, and I, I said, well, it's going to take three things. One, it's going to take teamwork. We have to work together. We have to, you know, be a team and, and communicate and, you know, work hard for our patients and if we're if we not working together, our patients suffer, you know. And secondly, it takes two other things. It takes empathy, having empathy for one another and having empathy for our patients, caring about them, making sure we're doing everything, going the extra mile. And then second or thirdly, being competent, be the best that you can be um, at your get better. every If it takes learning a new software, learn the new software like DAX or whatever it is get better and I think Scott we can continue to push the bar continue to make uh your health the very very best healthcare system out there and I think we're on in that direction but we have to do what you're saying we have to be productive we have to work and we have to give our all every single day um and write it down
0: <laughs> right exactly um you know and I think the other thing is that um, we've, we've got to recognize each one of us needs to recognize the importance of the other, mm-hmm. um, that that's also working with the patients. And, yep. and unfortunately I would say, uh, providers, I'll pick on you on, on this more than anything. Providers are very independent people in that, um, they haven't done a lot of teamwork. It, it, you know, school for them has been very intense, um, especially for doctors, um, every second of their education has been competition, and it's always been they were competing so hard with each other in order to get to the top of the class to get the best job or to get the best offers or learn the most. Um, and, and so I did talk with um, um, we have a new pediatrician coming on board um, Dr. Jaya Ruffin, and I've known Jaya since she was born. Mm-hmm. that makes me very old, <laughs> but I've known her for a long time. And now she's a pediatrician. She's a doctor. Wow. I can't believe it. But um, you know, Jay and I were talking about um the fact, you know how how competitive the world is. And she said, you know, that's what she loved about her pediatric residence, mm-hmm. um because once she got into her pediatric residence, the competition thing, went away. They weren't competing. And they really concentrate now in med school on the team effort and how important every person mm-hmm. on the team is. And so if I could if I could ma- wave a magic wand, what I would love to do is just to take the ego out of everybody out there and say, OK, the ego is coming out. But it's also that ego that gives a provider the confidence to say, this is the diagnosis. I've looked at all of this. And and this is what I know that I can do to make this person better. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you don't want it, all that gone away. But what you want them to, to recognize is that all the other people are just as important. Yep. I mean, because a lot of times, yes, your diagnosis is extremely important, but so is the nurse that holds her hand or the social worker that yep. calls and talks to the caregiver and ca- takes them through about why it's so important for them to take their medicine or why it's so important for them to have these advanced care conversations with their loved, ones. Um, so there's just so much that can really change their factor. And, and i I'm just so excited that with your help, this is the, I, I haven't met another practice that truly has the integration that we do at the yeah. size we do. Now there's a few, there's a few things like the, um, <clears throat> but the, um, the PACE program that does that does an integrated model of care, but it's only for Medicaid patients, only mm-hmm. for people that come to um, to to an adult daycare uh, center, and and so. Um, and it's only Medicaid um, folks. But but to be able to say, wow, we have everything from mm-hmm. the health coaches to the community health workers, to the pharmacists, to the physical and occupational therapists. Now, mm-hmm. I'm so excited about how they are evaluating and determining hey, this is the best way for you to get to uh, get therapy. We had a patient this week it was really interesting and um and they the provider the actually the physical therapist saw the patient and recommended therapy and so um they got an order written for fox rehab and fox rehab goes out and sees patients at home and they they will see the patient three to four times a week and they bill under the part b provider number but the part b it, it pays like less than half of what Part A costs. Mm. So example, if I go, if, I, if we put somebody on home health, it's going to cost uh, the government $350 a session where Fox Rehab gets paid $110. So it's it's a third, which means also that we could do three times as much. So now we can send a therapist out three or four times a week where home help can only send them out twice a week. Yeah. But then what was interesting, the family called back and said, no, we want to have home health.
1: Hmm.
0: And we're like, why? And they said, well, because home health is paid for under Medicare Part A and we don't have a copay or deductible.
1: Hmm.
0: But here's what the family didn't know, which was interesting. I think they were on Humana. Well, Humana doesn't have an out of pocket copay for that. So if Humana's not going to charge the patients a copay, but yet they're asking for it, so where did they get that information? Sure, they got it from the yeah. home health company, right? Who 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 had the home health had been doing therapy. Mm. We we said we needed more. That the home health group found out. And they called the patient and said to them, well, you know, you're going to have a big copay or deductible, not even checking to see what their insurance did or didn't pay. But so because home health, that's their business. And they were trying to make money off of that patient. But the truth is, the patient's going to get better services and longer services for that period of time with Part B. That's why it, it takes a village for us. It takes all these different provider providers that we have, um, in our organization to really make sure the patient gets what they need.
1: Sure. That's great. Yeah. Scott, this has been great. And, uh, man. All right. uh, Enjoy your weekend. And, uh, yeah enjoy those mountains I will do that thank you but yeah thank <laughs> you yeah I'm up in the mountains watching the
0: snow right now it's really nice. cool all I'm right thanks i Everybody about
1: the <laughs> <snow>. <laughs> thanks Scott
0: all right good <laughs> bye all right thanks have a great week bye bye
1: thanks for listening and if you could leave us a five-star review we would really appreciate it visit our podcast website at the disruptedpodcast.com you can also subscribe to one of our other podcasts in our podcast network the LTC University podcast, Experiencing Healthcare with Matt Staub, and the Thriving Practitioner podcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Have a great week.